the cosmic void. Onward it stretches into infinity, matched in depth and vastness by but one thing, the human imagination. We present now a story from this, the greater of two endless realms. Join us as we enter a gate beyond. Happy Holidays from A Gate Beyond, as this week we present a tale concerning a figure not unlike that Krampus, the dark and shadowy side of jolly old Saint Nick. Taken from the January 1964 edition of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, this is Knackles by Donald Westlake. Did God create men, or does man create gods? I don't know. And if it hadn't been for my rotten brother-in-law, the question would have never come up. My late brother-in-law? Knackles knows. It all depends, you see, like the chicken and the egg, on which came first. Did God exist before man first thought of him, or didn't he? If not, if man creates his gods then it follows that man must create the devils, too. Nearly every god, you know, has his corresponding devil. Good and evil, the polytheistic ancients, prolific in the creation of gods and goddesses, always worked up nearly enough evil ones to cancel out the good, but not quite. The Greeks, those incredible supermen, combined good and evil in each of their gods. In Zoroaster, Ahura Mazda, being good, is ranged forever against the evil one, Araman, and we ourselves know God and Satan. But of course, it's entirely possible that I have nothing to worry about. It all depends on whether Santa Claus is or is not a god. He certainly seems like a god. Consider, he is omniscient, he knows every action of every child for good or evil, at least on Christmas Eve, he is omnipresent everywhere at once. He administers justice tempered with mercy. He is superhuman, or at least non-human, though conceived of as having a human shape. He is aided by a corps of assistants who do not have completely human shapes. He rewards good and punishes evil. And, most importantly, he is believed in utterly by several million people, most of them under the age of ten. Is there any qualification for godhood that Santa Claus does not possess? And even the non-believers give him lip service. He has surely taken over Christmas. His effigy is everywhere, but where are the manger and the Christ child? Retired rather forlornly to the nave. Santa's power is growing, too. Slowly but surely, he is usurping Hanukkah as well. Santa Claus is a god. He's no less a god than Ahura Mazda or Odin or Zeus. Think of the white beard, the chariot pulled through the air by a breed of animal who doesn't ordinarily fly, the prayers and requests for gifts, which are annually mailed to him and which so baffle the post office, the specially garbed priests in all the department stores, and don't gods reflect their creator's society? The Greeks had a huntress goddess, and gods of agriculture and war and love. 
What else would we have but a God of giving, of merchandising, and of consumption? Secondary gods of earlier times have been stout, but surely Santa Claus is the first fat primary god. And whenever there is a god, mustn't there sooner or later be a devil? Which brings me back to my brother-in-law, who's to blame for whatever happens now. My brother-in-law Frank is, or was, a very mean and nasty man. Why I ever let him marry my sister, I'll never know. Why Susie wanted to marry him is an even greater mystery. I could just shrug and say love is blind, I suppose, but that wouldn't explain how she fell in love with him in the first place. Frank is... Frank was... I just don't know what tense to use. The present, hopefully. Frank is a very handsome man in his way, big and brawny, full of vitality. A football player, hero in college and defensive linebacker for three years in pro ball. Till he did some sort of irreparable damage to his left knee, which gave him a limp and forced him to find some other way to make a living. Ex-football players tend to become insurance salesmen. I don't know why. Frank followed the form and became an insurance salesman. Because Susie was then a secretary for the same company, they soon became acquainted. Was Susie dazzled by the ex-hero, so big and handsome? She's never been the type to dazzle easily, but we can never fully know what goes on inside the mind of another human being. For whatever reason, she decided she was in love with him. So they were married, and five weeks later he gave her her first black eye. And at the last, though it mightn't have been since Susie tried to keep me from finding out. I was to go over for dinner that night, but at 11 in the morning she called the auto showroom where I work to tell me that she had a headache and we'd have to postpone the dinner. But she sounded so upset that I knew immediately something was wrong, so I took a demonstration car and drove over. And when she opened the front door, there was the shiner. I got the story out of her slowly, in fits and starts. Frank, it seemed, had a terrible temper. She wanted to excuse him because he was forced to be an insurance salesman when he really wanted to be out there on a gridiron again. But I want to be president, and I'm an automobile salesman, and I don't go around giving women black eyes. So I decided it was time for me to let Frank know that he wasn't to vent his peak on my sister anymore. Unfortunately, I am 5 feet 7 inches tall, and I weigh 134 pounds soaking wet, with the Sunday Times under my arm. Were I to just give Frank a piece of my mind, he'd surely give me a black eye to go with my sisters. Therefore, that afternoon I bought a regulation baseball bat, and carried it with me when I went to see Frank that night. He opened the door himself and snarled, What do you want? In answer, I poked him with the end of the bat, just above the belt, to knock the wind out of him. Then, having unethically gained the upper hand, I clouded him five or six times more, and then stood over him to say, The next time you hit my sister, I won't let you off so easy. After which I took Susie home to my place for dinner. And after which, I was Frank's best friend. People like that are so impossible to understand. Until the baseball bat episode, Frank had nothing for me but undisguised contempt. 
but once I'd knocked the stuffing out of him, he was my comrade for life. And I'm sure it was sincere. He would have given me the shirt off of his back had I wanted it, which I didn't. Also, by the way, he never hit Susie again. He still had the bad temper, but he took it out on throwing furniture out windows or punching dents in walls or going downtown to start a brawl in some bar. I offered to train him out of maltreating the house and furniture as I had trained him out of maltreating his wife, but Susie said no, that Frank had to let off steam and it would be worse if he was forced to bottle it all up inside of him, so the baseball bat remained in retirement. Then came the children, three of them in as many years. Frank Jr. came first, and then Linda Joyce, and finally Stuart. Susie had the forlorn hope that fatherhood would settle Frank to some extent, but quite the reverse was true. Shrieking babies, smelly diapers, disrupted sleep, and distracted wives are trials and tribulations to any man, but to Frank they were, like everything else in his life, the last straw. He became, in a word, worse. Susie restrained him I don't know how often from doing some severe damage to a squealing infant, and as the children grew towards the age of reason, Frank's expressed attitude toward them was that their best move would be to find a way to become invisible. The children, of course, didn't like him very much, but then who did? Last Christmas was when it started. Junior was six then, and Linda Joyce five, and Stuart four, so all were old enough to have heard of Santa Claus and still young enough to believe in him. Along around October, when the Christmas season was beginning, Frank began to use Santa Claus's displeasure as a weapon to keep the children in line, his phrase for keeping them mute and immobile and terrified. Many parents, of course, try to enforce obedience the same way. If you're bad, Santa Claus won't bring you any presents. Which, all things considered, is a negative and passy sort of punishment, wishy-washy in comparison with fire and brimstone and such. In the old days, Santa Claus would treat children a bit more scornfully, leaving a lump of coal in their stockings in lieu of presents, but I suppose the Depression helped to change that. There are times and situations when a lump of coal is nothing to sneer at. In any case, an absence of presents was too weak a punishment for Frank's purposes. So, last Christmas time, he invented knackles. <laughs> Who is knackles? Knackles is to Santa Claus what Satan is to God, what Aramon is to Ahura Mazda, what the North Wind is to the South Wind. Knackles is the new evil. I think Frank really enjoyed creating Knackles. He gave so much thought to the details of him. According to Frank, and as I remember it, this is Knackles. Very, very tall and very, very thin. Dressed all in black, with a gaunt gray face and deep black eyes. He travels through an intricate series of tunnels under the earth, in a black chariot on rails, pulled by an octet of dead white goats. And what does Knackles do? Knackles lives on the flesh of little boys and girls. This is what Frank was telling his children, can you believe it? Knackles roams back and forth under the earth in his dark tunnels, darker than subway tunnels, pulled by the dead white goats, and he searches for little boys and girls to stuff into his big black sack and carry away and eat. But Santa Claus won't let him have good boys and girls, 
Santa Claus is stronger than Knuckles and keeps a protective shield around little children so Knuckles can't get at them. But when little children are bad, it hurts Santa Claus and weakens the shield that Santa Claus has placed around them. And if they keep on being bad, pretty soon there's no shield left at all. And on Christmas Eve, instead of Santa Claus coming down out of the sky with his bag of presents, Knuckles comes up out of the ground with his bag of emptiness and stuffs the bad children in and whisks them away to his dark tunnels and the eight dead white goats. Frank was proud of his invention, actually proud of it. He not only used Knuckles to threaten his children every time they had the temerity to come within range of his vision, he also spread the story around to others. He told me, and his neighbors, and people in bars, and people he went to see in his job as an insurance salesman. I don't know how many people he told about Knuckles, though. I would guess it was well over a hundred. And there's more than one Frank in this world. He told me from time to time of a client or neighbor or bar crony who had heard the story of Knuckles and then said, By God, that's great. That's what I've been needing to keep my brats in line. Thus Knuckles was created, and thus Knuckles was promulgated. And would any of the unfortunate children thus introduced to Knuckles believe in this evil being any less than they believed in Santa Claus? Of course not. This all happened, as I said, last Christmas time. Frank invented Knuckles, used him to further intimidate his already intimidated children, and spread the story of him to everyone he met. On Christmas Day last year, I'm sure there was more than one child in this town who was relieved and somewhat surprised to awaken the same as usual in his own trundle bed and to find the presence downstairs beneath the tree, proving that Knuckles had been kept away for yet another year. Knuckles lay dormant, so far as Frank was concerned, from December 25th of last year until this October. Then, with the sights and sounds go Christmas again in the land, back came Knuckles, as fresh and vicious as ever. Don't expect me to stop him, Frank would shout. When he comes up out of the ground the night before Christmas to carry you away in his bag, don't expect any help from me. It was worse this year than last. Frank wasn't doing as well financially as he'd expected. And then early in November, Susie discovered she was pregnant again. And what with one thing and another, Frank was headed for a real peak of ill temper. He screamed at the children constantly, and the name of Knuckles was never far from his tongue. Susie did what she could to counteract Frank's bad influence, but he wouldn't let her do much. All through November and December, he was home more and more of the time, because the Christmas season is the wrong time to sell insurance anyway and also because he was hating the job more every day and thus giving it less of his time. The more he hated the job, the worse his temper became, and the more he drank, and the worse his limp got, and the louder were his shouts, and the more violent his references to Knuckles. It just built and built and built, and reached its crescendo on Christmas Eve, when some small or imagined infraction of one of the children, and Stuart, I think, resulted in Frank's pulling all of the Christmas presents from all of the closets and stowing them in the car to be taken back to the stores, because this Christmas for sure it wouldn't be Santa Claus who would be visiting the house, it would be Knuckles. 
By the time Susie got the children to bed, everyone in the house was a nervous wreck. The children were too frightened to sleep, and Susie was too unnerved herself to be of much help in soothing them. Frank, who had taken to drinking at home lately, had locked himself in the bedroom with a bottle. It was nearly eleven o'clock before Susie got the children all quieted down, and then she went out to the car and brought all the presents back in and arranged them under the tree. Then, not wanting to see or hear her husband any more that night, he was like a big spoiled child thrown at tantrum, she herself went to sleep on the living room sofa. Frank Jr. awoke her in the morning crying, Look, Mama, Knuckles didn't come, he didn't come, and pointed to the presents she'd placed under the tree. The other two children came down shortly after, and Susie and the youngsters sat on the floor and opened presents, enjoying themselves as much as possible, but still with restraint. There were none of the usual squeals of childish pleasure. No one wanted Daddy to come storming downstairs and want his rages. So the children contented themselves with ear-to-ear smiles and whispered exclamations, and after a while Susie made breakfast, and the day carried along as pleasantly as could be expected under the circumstances. It was a little after twelve that Susie began to worry about Frank's non-appearance. She braved herself to go up and knock on the locked door and call his name, but she got no answer, not even the expected snarl, so just around one o'clock she called me, and I hurried over. I rapped smartly on the bedroom door, got no answer, and finally threatened to break the door in if Frank didn't open up. When I still got no answer, break the door in I did. And Frank, of course, was gone. The police say he ran away, deserted his family, primarily because of Susie's fourth pregnancy. They say he went out the window and dropped to the backyard so Susie wouldn't see him and try to stop him. And they say he didn't take the car because he was afraid Susie would hear him start the engine. That all sounds reasonable, right? Yet I just can't believe Frank would walk out on Susie without a lot of shouting about it first, nor that he would leave his car, which he was fonder of than his wife and children. But what's the alternative? There's only one I can think of. Knuckles. I would rather not believe that. I would rather not believe that Frank, in inventing Knuckles and spreading word of him, made him real. I would rather not believe that Knuckles actually did visit my sister's house on Christmas Eve. But did he? If so, he couldn't have carried off any more of the children, for a more subdued and better behaved trio of youngsters you wouldn't find anywhere. But Knuckles, being brand new and never having had a meal before, would need somebody. Somebody to whom he was real. Somebody not protected by the shield of Santa Claus. And, as I say, Frank was drinking that night. Alcohol makes the brain believe in the existence of all sorts of things. Also, Frank was a spoiled child if there ever was one. There's no question but that Frank Jr. and Linda Joyce and Stuart believe in Knuckles. And Frank spread the gospel of Knuckles to others, some of whom spread it to their own children and some of whom will spread the new evil to other parents. And ours is a mobile society, 
with families constantly being transferred by daddy's company from one end of the country to the other, so how long can it be before Knuckles is a power not only in this one city, but all across the nation? I don't know if Knuckles exists or will exist. All I know for sure is that there's suddenly a new level of meaning in the lyric of that popular Christmas song. You know the one I mean. You'd better watch out. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Gate Beyond. Join us again in two weeks for more tales of the unusual and otherworldly, gathered from the farthest reaches of the human imagination. Until then, always go beyond. Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, Winter Trouble, and Krampus is here, composed by Miyu. Special effects by Zapsplat.com. Produced and edited by Danny Atwell. Agate Beyond is a production of Dark Charm Media. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. <laughs>